And the beat drops. Hello, everybody. What's up? What's up? This is kind of a spontaneous uh, jump on on here. Um, I was just thinking about kind of covering a subject that has sort of come up before. Um, very, very, like, I guess, flirtatiously. Uh, it's, it's kind of come up through some of our other episodes. And it's this idea of humans living on Mars. And so um, I was honestly, just to be totally honest, uh, just sitting on Instagram looking at cat videos and I just thought like, man, like, you know, how can we get to Mars? And like, I wonder like if that'll be in our lifetime and, you know, I wonder how many people are actually asking the same question. So I decided to just come on here just to uh, see if anyone wanted to join and talk a little bit about terraforming mars so um i would i want to start off actually with that just that word terraforming what exactly does that even mean and um why am i using that instead of say colonize um and i guess sort of like the the, the biggest reason is um sort of this idea of of colonizing typically just in the past sort of has this like I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a bad rep, but also it's also like built up a lot of infrastructure. So kind of a good rep, but at the same time, it's sort of taking away this idea of what that land really stood for initially. And, and, and Mars, um, which as of right now, we understand that there's no living creatures on it. Do we really want to completely change its structure and build cities um, that we have here on earth? And um there's a few ways to sort of approach this. And I would say sort of the, the most optimistic point of view is like, yes, I mean, of course we should, we should explore beyond their own, our own neighborhood um, or our own house, actually. So earth would be like our house in, in the solar system and our cosmic neighborhood and, um, you know, go next door, see what's there, see what's happening. Um, and humans have already sent so many uh like just robotic missions to the surface there's a whole robotic family on mars of rovers and now a helicopter and landers and there's just so much information that's been gathered about this red planet and uh, dating all the way back to ancient astronomy and um, early ptolemaic time humans have always been curious about um not just the stars in the night sky but this red planet this this red dot that you see and um once things start to become a little bit more aware of what exactly this is of the fact that it's not a star but in fact a planet um i think curiosity starts to really get sparked in a lot of people's minds and so terraforming would be to find ways to almost may i use the term sort of geoengineer even though geoengineering would be for for earth because um, the word geo stands is, is, is Latin for the for what we call Earth as opposed to Mars. So I guess it'd be Martian engineering. 
Um, but basically shaping the planet in a way where it can be habitable for humans. And one of the most obvious things um, that you know we need is air. We need to breathe. We need air. We need water, shelter, and warmth. And as of now, if you went to Mars totally by yourself without your spacecraft or even without a spacesuit, you there's totally an absence of all those things that are necessary for human life um, on any planet, even on Earth. If we didn't have water, oxygen, shelter, or warmth, we would not survive. Uh, maybe, maybe we could survive to some extent without shelter, but um, that's still very important, especially when moving to another planet. So I'm going to run through a little bit of facts about what makes Mars different than Earth. And then the some really interesting ideas that both scientists and science fiction writers have in mind for how to terraform Mars to make it more Earth-like. So let's go ahead and jump into first some info about Mars. Starting with its size. So Mars is pretty small compared to Earth. Um, it's only about a third the size of Earth. And so because of that, um, its gravitational effect is not nearly as close as what Earth's is. So instead of us you know, walking normally as we would here on Earth, one step in front of the other, on Mars, you're going to have less of a gravitational pull pulling down your foot every time you come to take a step. So it'd be kind of like bouncing. There's really cool simulators out there um, that are on treadmills that uh, if you ever go to a space conference or like some type of Mars event, uh, which there are totally conferences all over the world happening, um, just do a little bit of, of searching, researching to see if they have any of these Mars simulators. I got to try one out once. Um, it was for the premiere of Mars, which is a show on National Geographic. Highly recommend watching that if you haven't. And it's really cool. It, it simulates what it would feel like if you were walking on the Martian surface. And I had a little bit of pep in my step. So I, I bounced slightly off the treadmill as I went to go take my next step. Um, and so that being said, um, you know, having this, this, this lower gravity, um, that will come with some health concerns with our bodies, uh, starting with what astronauts on the International Space Station have to think about is um, their muscle mass, their muscle mass. And so if you're not using the muscles you're used to using here on Earth to stand up straight to um, support your skeletal structure, then if those muscles aren't being used, they will start to get weaker. And also your bones, your bones can start to get weaker, less dense. And so um, again, you don't have the force of gravity acting on your body or the effect of gravity that you would here have, have here on Earth. And that can come with some side effects. So exercising um, about four hours a day is what the estimate was for um, astronauts on the ISS. I believe they've cut that down with some new introductions of equipment. But I would say on Mars, you're probably going to want to definitely exercise every single day. And that's mainly weight training. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, radiation, radiation from the sun. Um, that can be so damaging. Anyone in the chat who's ever gotten a sunburn before, I'm raising both of my hands because I am prone to getting sunburned. I do not tan at all. Uh, my skin, even when I will have the burn and it'll start to fade. And as, as soon as it starts to turn into a little bit of a tan, 
it peels and it just wants to like leave my body. And so, and so sunburn is not good for me, but that, that's just one factor. Radiation can have so many factors on not just us humans, sensitive, feeble creatures, but also on equipment. Look at the rovers, for instance, on Mars. Um, they, their, their, their batteries, their machinery, it can only undergo a certain amount of time being used on the Martian surface without essentially being run down, without starting to deteriorate. Um, anything in space actually happens to experience this, this type of solar radiation. What usually protects us from it here on Earth? Well, that's our atmosphere. We have a great atmosphere, uh, considering <laughs> considering kind of the the increase in carbon dioxide that we we are aware of is, is happening right now on our planet and happening in our in our atmosphere. But we have a really great atmosphere. Mars does not have that, um, and so one of the biggest ideas around how to have humans living on the Martian surface is maybe building domes, like little domes, habitable domes. Um, either kind of, kind of small starting out, maybe, maybe about the size of a house for your own area, or eventually, and you might've seen this in some science fiction novels, or even in some papers, uh, there are researchers who want to make this happen, but massive ones larger than New York city that can encapsulate an entire city. And these domes have to be made of a very special material. There's a few ideas out there of what could be used, but um, the one I'm going to talk about is something called silica aerogel. It's so, so cool. Um, I got to hold a piece of it once uh, when I got to go to uh, NASA Kennedy Space Center for a launch. And actually, it was Vandenberg Air Force Base, but it was for the launch of the InSight lander to Mars. And um, I was speaking with an engineer from Lockheed Martin, and he had a piece of silica aerogel. And he put it in my hands and he said, now shine a flashlight through it. So you just grab my phone and turn on the flash. And as you move it, it refracts the light, creating like an artificial sunset on my hands. It was so cool to like just witness this because I I love the sun. I'm, I'm a sun child. Like I love being out in the sun. It's like my number one thing. Um, every time it's gloomy out, like all I want to do is sleep. And so on Mars, you know, it's like... Well, unless we're really having sunsets, um, you know, it can really affect my productivity on Mars. And so having these domes made of silica aerogel can be something really helpful uh, for that. That could be a really great way, just psychologically or maybe even emotionally, um, having these domes refracting that sunlight coming in, creating almost this artificial uh, sunset. But the other thing of why silica aerogel is a possibility for building habitable domes out of is because it will create a greenhouse effect. You guys have, might have heard about a greenhouse effect before, probably from going actually to like the botanical gardens or something. Um, I grew up going to the one in Brooklyn, New York, and um, they're so cool. A greenhouse, you go inside and it's super warm. Well, what's happening, and you might have actually heard about also maybe it being referred to what's happening possibly in the future on Earth with climate change and what's happened on Venus. Jumping to Venus for a quick second, Venus has a phenomenon known as a runaway greenhouse effect, where basically it has such a thick atmosphere that every time solar radiation comes in, so not just 
sunlight, but heat as well, it gets trapped underneath these super thick clouds of ammonia. And it just reflects back up to the clouds, bounces on the surface again, and just keeps, imagine, imagine seeing a heat wave, like a red squiggly uh, arrow of solar radiation coming through the atmosphere, heating up the surface of Venus and going to release back out into space to help keep the planet a relatively cool temperature, but it's trapped in by the atmosphere. So it bounces back down to the surface again, heating up, going back up to the atmosphere, coming back down. That's a runaway greenhouse effect where basically it's getting hotter and hotter. So on Venus, that's not good. On Earth, definitely we don't want that because us humans can't survive under those really harsh, hot conditions. But on Mars, on the other hand, huh, it's so cold on Mars that maybe this might be a pretty good thing as long as we can keep it in control. So that is an idea. So these habitable domes, either, you know, maybe a small one the size of your house or a massive one that possibly in the future can encapsulate all of, say, New York City. Um, And I'm going to throw in a quick note about a program called the High Seas Program. So it's H-I-S-E-A-S, High Seas Program or mission, actually. It's a mock Martian mission. I think it's also also good for mock lunar mission. So let me actually look that up real quick. Um, but basically the whole premise around it is it's a four month mission and I have friends who've gotten to do this. It's super cool. It's, um, I believe it's out in Hawaii on, on a really high mountaintop and you have to stay within your spacesuit. And on top of that, you have a habitat, you have to stay and you treat it as if this is really a mission to Mars or the moon. I want to confirm that to see if they're simulating just Mars or yeah, they're just, okay. So it's human space flight to Mars. So there's other other programs that do lunar mock lunar missions. The High Seas does a mock Mars mission, and um, they bring different people out there to do either research. But the main thing is they want to study human behavior under these types of conditions. Because if you think back to 2020 when everyone was in quarantine, quite a lot of people experienced cabin fever. And, um, you know, you can get kind of pent up and rambunctious and eager to get outside or maybe get out of your spacesuit. And the habitats will have to be extraordinarily comfortable by the time I think um, there'd be maybe tourist missions to to Mars. Um, But that is a possibility. And um, that would be something that would probably be just a lot of researchers at first, I would say. Those basically willing to go and, and do these missions. Uh, but that, that's so that's one possibility now. So we're talking about terraforming Mars um, and we're talking about these habitable domes. But there's a few other ways to possibly terraform Mars. And that comes from a science fiction novel that talks about doing something quite extreme to the planet in order to create an atmosphere possibly like Earth. I'm going to do a quick music break and then I will get to that.
Alrighty, let's jump back in to talking about terraforming Mars. By the way, I did open up this call to the to anyone who wants to join. So all the listeners, if you want to ever call in, feel free to um, at any moment. You can tap, I think it's the bottom right, maybe somewhere next to your, the little uh, party hat emoji or thumbs up emoji. If you wanted to call in and ever chat and say hello, um, feel free to. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. So talking a little bit more about this idea of terraforming Mars, it once was really science fiction. It, it was something that um, like a lot of people, especially in the field of science and, and astronomy, kind of just laughed about it. They just thought like, that's, you know, that's, that's not possible. Like we can't do that. Not a lot was known about this planet um, until we started having missions going to the, the red planet, started having rovers going, opportunity, perseverance, uh, curiosity, so many incredible uh, robotic missions. And that's when it's, we started to see more and more of this possibility of how humans can eventually have flights there. Um, I do think, just personally speaking, it's quite astonishing that we haven't been there yet. I do think that um, with the technology we have today, and especially considering the technology we had during the Apollo missions, um, that we were able to even get people to the moon, um, I definitely think we would have been to, the, to Mars by now if, um, yeah, if there was a lot more focus on on that, on, on getting people to another planet, again, exploring beyond their own house in our cosmic neighborhood and going next door to our neighbor, um, the red planet. So... There is this idea. So some of you might have heard about this, maybe somewhere floating around in the news about nuking uh, the South Pole or the poles on Mars. And it sounds crazy. I mean, I, I think that regardless, this would probably cause a lot of problems and more destruction than actually helping the planet and helping the cause. Uh, but I'm just going to explain a little bit why this was a consideration and uh, why some people were talking about it, such as uh, Elon Musk and, and a bunch of different news media sites that were covering this. Um, but the main thing is because most of the poles, the, the ice caps on Mars, are not actually water ice. Uh, I believe there are some traces of water ice, but the majority of it is actually carbon dioxide. And that might ring some bells for some of us like, ah, yes, carbon dioxide, CO2, the thing that we exhale and the thing that the, the, the very um, chemical compound that is going into our atmosphere and warming our planet. What in the world? Why do we why do we why do we want to release that on Mars? And what you see, Mars, as I mentioned before, doesn't have an atmosphere. I'll get into why it doesn't in a little bit, by the way. Um, and so if it doesn't and we melt these ice caps that may produce enough of a release of carbon dioxide to start to form a very, very thin layer of atmosphere around the red planet. Uh, the, the main problem is there's not nearly enough ice for it to last a, a significant amount of time. And I'm talking like even a human lifetime. Um, so we're basically, the atmosphere will if, probably be there for sometime, but it's going to slowly start to get blown away because of solar radiation and solar wind. What makes us different from Mars, you know, like we're closer, Earth is closer to the sun than Mars is. So how are we fine? How is our atmosphere not getting blown away by solar wind? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, by the way, I wish, wish you guys asked that. <laughs> I feel again, feel free to join the call anytime. I'm kind of just going off my own narrative, but um, 
basically we have an electromagnetic field these really cool charged particles that are encapsulating around our earth that is protecting holding in our atmosphere um a great way to visualize this is think about the aurora borealis or the northern lights this is what comes from the center of our earth charged particles being pushed through the core of our earth and and, and releasing out through our north and south pole and it's then if you were to look at any images of the electromagnetic field around earth it'll look sort of like these really pretty lines that'll go from it'll be like a half circle from the, the north to the south pole around earth and then on the other side north to the south pole so kind of look like butterfly wings on the outside of planet earth and mars does not have that um it's 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 a mystery it's not a huge mystery scientists have some hunches about why that is um and a big reason is it was probably ended up undergoing a really huge collision with an asteroid um, because Mars is relatively close to the asteroid belt. Asteroid belt is located between Mars and Jupiter. And so um, it might have undergone a really huge head-on collision. And that could have really thrown off uh, the, the planet that could have completely ended up making it so that it doesn't have these these uh, this electromagnetic field anymore. And so because of this, you don't have this protection of the atmosphere on Mars and the solar wind is able to blow it away. It, it ends up escaping. So it's not protected by this, this, um, this like butter, the butterfly wings, as I mentioned, they try to picture that around, around Mars. And so now because of this, um, Mars does not have um, an electromagnetic field. There's one other idea for how to maybe make an electromagnetic field. And that would be through creating an artificial dipole. So basically creating an artificial massive magnet, one with a positive and a negative end, and putting it within the orbit of Mars that would then create some type of exchange of, of electricity, of energetic particles between that dipole and Mars. And that might be able to cause this electromagnetic field to form around the planet. So that would be really cool if if that were to happen. But we're we're not nearly there just yet. Um but that would definitely solve a lot of problems especially not having to nuke the planet which would just like be absolutely terrible. Um but that is that is one of one of the ideas. So we've got a few other things I wanted to mention about Mars um and that has to do with its history. So we're coming close to, to, to wrapping up this conversation about terraforming Mars. But if you ever want to join the call, let me know. Um, you can just tap the button below and it'll, you'll come up in the, the um, waiting room and then you can join. All right.
All right, let's jump back into it. If you're just joining us, we are talking about terraforming Mars, what that looks like, if it's possible, and if we have that in our lifetime. I do see you have a color. Uh, right before I bring you on, I'm just going to mention one more thing um, about how exactly that asteroid impact uh, might have caused Mars to completely lose its electromagnetic field. And sometimes a really amount, a high amount of energy can be released from a huge head-on collision. And that can end up disturbing the interior heat flow of the planet's iron core. And this is what produces this uh, magnetic field of the planet and resulting in completely disrupting it, somehow causing it to totally shut off and no longer having that. So just want to throw that in just to clarify a little bit about that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring in their next caller. And Mario, you are on. How's it going? Hi. Hi. Yes. Feel like you're, you're the number one caller on, on oh, Space Talk. Uh, <laughs> I wear that badge with honor. Awesome. Uh, so great to hear. So how are you doing? Uh, just, you know, studying hard. Nice. What do you want to share with us yes, today? Yes, I actually have a question. What's up? So um, in this, in the, you know, in the discourse of terraforming, of this theoretical possibility of, of terraforming Mars, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of discourse surrounding um, the, uh, the the magnetic field and some, somehow inducing a magnetic field, which is great. I The magnetic field on Earth, I love it. I'm very grateful that it exists. Huge fan. So, but my, my question is, will that really be enough? And the reason I doubt, a reason I doubt that maybe it might not be enough is because we have to consider the temperature that, that the atmosphere might have because... Temperature is, is a measure of average kinetic energy. So because Mars is much smaller, it might take less kinetic energy for the atmosphere to escape because it'll be easier to achieve that escape velocity. So I'm wondering if, and, you know, um, an electromagnetic, um, the, an, an electromagnetic poles, they won't entirely block the heat or something. can't, like that would actually be a really bad thing. So, I mean, yeah, since my question, yeah, will wow. that be enough? Uh, Having like a, a dipole? Yes. Yeah. Will that really be enough? Well, my answer usually is always, well, we got to try it to see if it works out. But you're completely right about um, the Mars probably not needing uh, as much in order to to really heat up. I mean, it's it is smaller. That does need to be taken into account. Um, so the way, from my understanding, how the plan would work is. If, say, this idea of a dipole can be created in, in real life at a huge enough size, I mean, there, dipoles do exist. It's, it's basically just having opposite charges, um, positive and negative, but it would have to be large enough and then it would sit in it. Do you know where the area called Lagrange Point 1 uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Know about awesome. So for anyone who doesn't know about Lagrange points, they're at an area where there is um, an equal amount of gravity, a gravitational effect between two bodies. Um, and so for Mars, we would put this at a certain location called Lagrange point one. And from its magnetic like effect, from its, it, those, imagine those butterfly wings that I mentioned. So from its magnetic field, it's going to create a magnetotail, which is right where Mars would be in the line of. So imagine this tail stretching all the way out. Mars would be sitting right in the center of that. So I imagine, Mario, for your question, that 
by the time this is created, if this is the route that we may go down as a civilization, um, that the dipole would possibly be able to be controlled of just how strong of a magnetic field it produces, uh, possibly being able to maybe decrease or increase it depending on the uh, the variables that, that go into making this. So that's that that's what I would hope for uh, because yeah, Mars won't won't need as much, um, but hopefully we don't create it to a point where like it's trapping in way too much heat making a super thick atmosphere and then making Mars, Mars inhabitable. Um, so does that, does that kind of answer your question? I, I wish I knew the answer because we're not, uh, there's no one really, at least that I'm aware of that's working on it. Um, but does that, does that answer yeah, your question a bit? Yeah. Yeah. It answers my question. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's it requires some imagination, which, you know, that's, it does. Yeah, that's what I like about these, these conversations. It's really, you know, stretch the imagination. Yeah, yeah, no, it it really does. I agree with you on that. I think um, that this stuff, uh, you know, right now we might see it as science fiction, but that's really it can sometimes can be the birth of so many new ideas in the in the field of all science. Um, so that's really cool. Do you want to share anything else? Any other thoughts you have? Did you get to catch the meteor shower? Oh no, I I haven't yet. I I uh, I had to do something important the next day, so I really had to make sure that that I got sleep. But you know, copy that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. Um, any other questions about terraforming Mars or anything you want to share? Any, any insider knowledge? Um, no, I, I, I believe that's it. That's it for now. Awesome. All right. Well, Mario, it's always a pleasure when you get to join Space Talk. So right. thank you so much for calling right. in. And thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All righty. So if anyone else wants to join, you can go ahead and just press the call in button, uh, which should be on the bottom of your screen. So um, that's that's basically the wrap of everything I wanted to to go over as far as um, yeah, just possibly humans venturing to the red planet, what it would take to terraform the planet, um, and whether that means actually really changing the structure of this this celestial body, or just building domes on it. Um, I will mention one more really important factor: is Mars is known for their sandstorms. Um, huge sandstorms. I don't have a ton of info on it and that's okay because I'm going to have a sandstorm expert on um, in a couple of weeks, um, possibly possibly this Friday, but I will definitely let you all know beforehand if that's confirmed. Main thing is just making sure that he can download the app because um, check it on the type of device he has, but um, that's going to be really fun. He is an expert on sand dunes on Mars and sandstorms. Um, Planetary geologist, super, super great uh, conversationalist as well. So that's going to be a really fun episode uh, whenever we schedule that. Um, and then I've got some more people coming up very soon from a space fashion designer, uh, someone who makes mission patches for every single mission. So rocket launches or um, just missions to the ISS, which would also include a rocket launch. But you know what I mean? Space shuttle missions from the past as well. So I think that's going to be really fun when we when we get to go ahead and organize that. Um, but that's about everything that I wanted to share this time around about, um, going over to the red planet. So, um, hopefully by the way, speaking of the red planet, hopefully you all get to see it because it is visible early in the morning. Um, so just before sunrise, so I would, I would check it out about, about 30 minutes before sunrise. So just check your local time and the red planet will be visible over your, um, Southwestern horizon. 
All right. So that is about it. Um, thank you all so much for joining this episode of Space Talk. I know it's super spontaneous, um, but I will let you know soon of any future planned episodes. And until next time, ad astra.